I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of February 2024, and we are in the midst of a little something that we like to call Frame of Reference Month. Uh, now, you may be asking, what the fuck does that mean? Uh, and essentially what it is is uh, a little bit of wordplay uh, on the premise that uh, Kyle and I, as movie podcasters, two folks who talk about movies weekly on the internet, um, we tend to reference a lot of other movies while we're conducting the main review. Uh, so this month, we're just going to be taking advantage of that little that little gimmick and uh, reviewing some movies that were referenced last month on the program. Uh, so last week, uh, we had an unfortunate uh, technical hiccup on my end, totally my fault, apologies, Kyle, um, wherein uh, we reviewed Payback together. Um, however, uh, my end of the audio failed. The audio was corrupted, so it ended up turning into a solo review on my part of Payback from 1999, uh, which was a movie that Kyle references a lot yeah. on the show, so we really didn't need much of an excuse to tackle that one to kick things off this month. Uh, but this week, uh, I'm pretty busy, so I wanted a softball pick. Uh, and how better to go about that than by diving into the filmography of one Steven Seagal. Um, I believe, actually, we've only done that once before uh, in the form of, I think at the time, I don't know about now, but at the time, his sole directorial effort, uh, he also starred in the film, of course, that would be On Deadly Ground from 1994. Um, terrific, good, bad movie. It's it's a terrible film, but quite enjoyable if you come at it from the right angle. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about Fire Down Below uh, from 1997. Uh, which is a somewhat of a late-era Steven Seagal movie. Um, but the reason why I picked this one is because uh, over the course of January, uh, I made reference to this film via uh, Chris Christopherson's presence uh, in Blade. Uh, and uh, the character of Harry Heck um, in The Punisher from 2004, during our review of that, I pointed out that I recognized him uh, from this film as well. He plays just kind of an anonymous goon in this one. But uh, to bring you into the conversation, Kyle, um, Fire Down Below. Uh, is this a Seagal film that you knew by reputation or otherwise uh, prior to watching it for this week's review? Hey, how about the feelings out of my fucking teeth? Mm. No, man. Uh, I thought this was uh, the Howie... Fuck. What's his name? Football player. Howie, Howie Long. Yeah, I thought it was that movie. You're like, Fire, fire Down Below. I'm like, Fire Down Below? I don't want to That would be that. Firestorm. There you go. Um... <laughs> No, I, uh, I I didn't know about this movie at all, uh, and there's probably a good reason. Uh, it's 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 not good. Uh, it looks great, but it it's not good. Um, I honestly haven't seen too many Steven Seagal movies. I think just the two Under Siege movies, and then the one that we did that you just mentioned. I already forgot the name of, uh, <laughs> and uh, and then this one. Um, I've seen pieces of Mark for Death, and obviously I've seen clips from his straight to. I don't even know what platform they're going straight to at this point. Um, I've seen clips of those movies, but yeah, no, I, I had no idea about this movie. Steven Seagal, who will most certainly snatch every motherfucker birthday. Dude, I've been uh, saying it all morning. I had to have Steph watch that clip. I've been saying it all. I will snatch every motherfucker birthday. I will snatch every motherfucker birthday. 
Yeah. Oh my God, you are you are so welcome, Kyle. <laughs> uh, like that that is life changing. That that clip is life changing. It's so, <laughs> just ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Cause oh, I'm now sorry to hear that. <laughs> I will snatch every motherfucker birthday. <laughs> Steven Seagal is a cultural chameleon. Um, actually evident in this film. Uh, we'll get into that when we get into it. But um, I guess the first thing, most important thing, being as this is being published on the internet, uh, is full disclosure. We are we are quite aware Steven Seagal is a, is a monstrous, terrible human being. Piece of shit. But he cares about the environment, Trevor. <laughs> yeah, that's how he tries to make up for, for all the terrible things he's done uh, and his terrible reputation. So we are quite aware of that. Um, however, uh, this this is us robbing the monster of its power by dressing him down. Yes. Uh, there, we have compliments for the film, as Kyle had said. Uh, it's aesthetically quite pleasing at times. It has production values. It's shot well. Um, but basically, none of those compliments are going to be levied at Mr. Seagal himself. No. no. Uh, so uh, I don't have like a whole bunch of production history behind this one. But um, it is important to note that this came out in 1997. Um, which, if you're not familiar with Steven Seagal's filmography, um, basically this is this is the the twilight years of his his theatrical run, uh, where he was like the leading man in theatrical films. Uh, a couple years beyond this, he will almost exclusively work in the direct-to-video realm, with the exception of say Machete, where he has basically a cameo. Like it, it's not much more than that. Um, but yeah, everything, of course, started with Above the Law, which I've often described as perhaps the, I don't know, the like the best launch for a non-actor in Hollywood you could ever imagine. Like they, He was gifted an entire film to himself by, by the producers in the form of a production tailor-made to, to showcase all of his strengths. It was a vehicle. He was strapped to a rocket from the get-go, and look where it got him. Um at least in the long run. In the short run, in the short term, got him quite far, actually. But um, that was 1988. Um, by the time you get to 1997, uh, his star has basically completely waned. And as I said, he's on his way out. Um, and also, there's there's a quirk in his filmography that uh, comes in the form of uh, Buddhism. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Kyle. But, no. Um, <laughs> Uh, there is a sect of Buddhist monks who it's long been theorized that he basically paid them off um, to publicly state that he's like second coming, basically, of, say, like a Dalai Lama type figure. Um, so he has a sect of Buddhist monks who follow him around the globe and sing his praises and say that he's the second coming, basically. Well, I mean, he does have the same physique as the Buddha, so I could see <laughs> it not being too difficult to convince them. <laughs> yeah, if you if you put a layer of fur on him, he'd basically be a giant panda. I'm, like, a, <laughs> I'm, got, I'm a body by Buddha. Uh, <laughs> involves not moving a whole lot, uh, rolling down hills, and eating bamboo <laughs> I, I eat mostly bacon and then i drink 12 to 14 beers that are 200 calories a piece i subsist on souls that i've snatched from motherfuckers birthdays <laughs> and, and birthday cake <laughs> oh yeah and birthday cake and cheesecake <laughs> and cupcakes and eclairs 
and whatever the hell's they got in Romania. <laughs> yeah, Mongolia, I think uh, these days. At least that's <laughs> where his Mongolia. wife is from. <laughs> his Holy wife shit. is Mongolia. <laughs> She's He's a in dancer. Mongolia. I see him just standing in that those beautiful plains. You've seen the the videos of just the beautiful plains of Mongolia. Just him with his big fucking belly, just standing with an eagle in the background, thinking about <laughs> the cupcakes. <laughs> You know what would make these fields more beautiful? Condos. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a Popeye's chicken. All right. <laughs> uh, I picture him moving about almost exclusively via golf cart these Dude, days. He's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, here he comes. <laughs> <laughs> he comes to a hill it requires some assistance <laughs> oh his golf cart stuck at the bottom of the hill again fuck <laughs> fuck hey. it's like well man, good thing he's got a busload of monks to help him get up fuck <laughs> uh so anyway um i don't i don't even remember where i was at oh yeah um Black so the Bud- the buddhism thing happened sometime in the mid 90s I know, th- I know this was a thing. This was a thing that's going on. So this is me kind of putting on a tinfoil hat and starting to try to put together a theory here. So I know for a fact you know this story of one Stephen Tobolowski on the set of The Glimmer Man. Mm. Uh, I forget the context of the interview. Like, I forget w- where it was conducted. But Stephen Tobolowski, who is a wonderful actor... Um, he did a like a podcast or something where he told a onset story of working with Steven Seagal in The Glimmer Man, uh, which was the film that preceded this one. Not a very good film, by the way. Um, uh, I mean, that goes without saying. But um, anyway, the story goes during the production of Glimmer Man, uh, Steven Seagal was refusing to kill people in his films. And John Gray, the director, comes in to my trailer and says, so how's everything going? I go, well, fine, John, fine. We're having a problem. Steven Seagal has had a spiritual sort of crisis. He decided that he doesn't want to kill people anymore in movies. Action star Steven Seagal, whose entire filmography is based around the concept of killing people, largely minorities, mind you. Um, <laughs> he uh, apparently got into an argument with Steven Tobolowsky because uh, he was refusing to do the scene where he kills Steven Tobolowsky in the film. And he's like, I mean, it's kind of important to the plot that you kill me. And he's like, no, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) And he had to convince Steven Seagal that it's okay for you to kill people in movies. It's fiction, you see. And on top, so basically he reasoned that Buddhism, right? If you kill me, you're doing me a favor because you're, you're sending me into the great beyond and I'll be resurrected. I'll be brought back in a new form. Like, you, you were helping people by killing them in your films. So he had to convince him to kill someone in his action film. Um, long story short, what I'm trying to get to here is that the body count in this film is quite small. Um, and there's quite a lot of evidence of there being quite a lot of tampering in the editing room. And very important to note, Steven Seagal is listed as producer on yes. this film. So I haven't been able to find, like, direct quotes or anything pointing to Steven Seagal's, like, Buddhist revival or whatever you want to call it, um, being the culprit behind there being significantly less death in this film than you would expect for one of his movies. Um, But I suspect that might be the case, being as it's 
barely a year removed from the Glimmer Man, where he had to be convinced to kill people in his movie. Yeah, so I think a good rule of thumb is if you're about to watch a film that you haven't seen and you see the Janus logo, Janus, Janus, however you want to pronounce it, if you see that logo pop up, it's probably going to be a worthwhile film. You may or may not like it, but it's still likely a well-put-together film. Um, if you see Steven Seagal as the producer in the credits, you're in for a rough ride. I don't know how many movies he's been a producer for, but I can tell you none of them are good. Yeah, uh, I'll just take a look at it. It's called uh, IMDb. Seagal Nasso Productions is the name of the company. Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it became Steamroller Productions, and I was telling Kyle this before the mics heated up. Apparently... The partnership of Seagal and Nasso uh, evaporated when Nasso was arrested by the FBI for extortion of Seagal. <laughs> wow. Uh, so yeah, that's that's one way to end a business relationship. But um, marked for my... death, yeah. marked for death on Deadly Ground, Under Siege Two, Glimmer Man, uh, and then this one and a bunch of other direct video uh, Steven Seagal movies, as well as some of. Uh, Steven Seagal's record publishings. Um, so basically, most of the bad ones, uh, being as marked for death as almost the cutoff period for like quote unquote good Steven Seagal movies. So basically, when he started producing his movies is when they start to get bad. Man. <laughs> so you're right, Kyle. You're absolutely 100% right. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Uh, Did you have any more you wanted to say? No, that. that was way more than I intended to, so let's get to the movie proper. Yeah. I will point out it is directed by Felix Enriquez Alcala, uh, who is, I think this may be one of the only movies he's directed. Yeah, he um, mostly he does a, TV. Yeah. He is a highly prolific television director. You you point to an American television series, he's directed an episode of it. So, yeah. But feature films, not so much. And I mean, in all honesty, like, as far as the look of this film, it looks great. This is an actual film. There's just no story. Um, but yeah, so I, I'll, I'll give you the IMDb plot summary, and then I'll give you my own. Uh, so this is the, probably the best, most concise one. Is After FBI agent Jack Taggart loses his best friend to the hands of a corrupt, toxic dump cover-up, he decides to visit the town and find out what he can about the cover-up. In the process, he is met by unfriendly town folk who are being paid to keep the dumping secret. With the help of an old man and a young woman, he takes on the corporate head of the toxic dumping with a vengeance. Wow, that that kind of took you to all four corners of the film. Like yeah. that was that was sprawling. Um, and also, the thing about his friend being killed is reduced to I think two lines of dialogue in this entire film. It's it's so in, it, it, it's so inconsequential. It's, it's over the credits. We'll have to talk about this credit sequence. But uh, yeah, so what this movie is, is Steven Seagal walking around an eastern Kentucky town and just doing random things and occasionally punching people. Uh, and he does deep throat a cop with a gun, which is, I mean, this has to be the picture. This is not going to be the picture for the film because it, it there's a perfect shot of this guy. And it's not even just like, like on the tip of his lips, like like it is down this dude's throat. It's pretty great. It's 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 great. Yeah, I'll have to use that to promote the episode. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Steven Seagal has a long history of mistreating uh, stunt personnel on his films. Uh, Kane Hodder is listed as being uh, involved in this production. I didn't notice him, though, which says a lot, being as Kane Hodder tends to stand out. But yeah, he has a long history of being exceptionally rough with his stunt people. Wouldn't be surprised if that gag wasn't supposed to be quite as physical as it, as it ends up being in the movie. But hey, did I, I actually have the movie on DVD in my hand, do. Kyle. <laughs> I mean, I, he's right. I, had, I can't push back against that. Dude, he's right. <laughs> I sent you. I sent you that Blu-ray of Stone Cold. I think it was last Christmas. I'm like, there's a good chance he already has this, but I don't think you did. I did not. I'm like, you did me a favor. Yeah, it's a blind spot, Brian Bosworth. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was like I, he might. Brian not Bosworth, have... who has a long history with the city of Seattle. Uh, <laughs> um, um, I just wanted to point out on the cover of the DVD, this is something we might want to consider doing for the show more often, is uh, the tagline. Not the summary, the tagline. Oh, yeah, give me the tagline. Uh, It says, Beneath a land of wealth and beauty hides a secret that could kill millions. Undercover has never run so deep. Fire down below. Jesus. Okay, so uh, the relationship with uh, the antagonist and protagonist in this film is... Not dissimilar from uh, the other one, the one he directed. Oh, On Deadly Ground. On you're, Deadly Ground. You're absolutely right. It, we're introduced almost the exact same way, and the relationship the bad guy has with him throughout the film is almost identical. Identical. Yeah, uh, I mean, they start out kind of chummy uh, in, in On Deadly Ground, yeah. but the, the whole like in environmental hazard stuff like and you know the the rich guy in the high tower thing being the bad guy, the ultimate villain of the story it very similar and probably what attracted Seagal to the project being mm. as that's like the one compliment you can give to on deadly ground like objectively is that it does have that four minute speech at the end of the movie yeah. that is fairly sincere in terms of environmental preservation and whatnot yeah. and this movie has touches of it Although it's somewhat less about the environment and more about just, like, corporatism and, yeah. I don't know, the, the rich fucking with the poor, basically. Uh, but, yeah, st- strikingly similar. And on top of that, from a casting standpoint, it it has, like, a kind of like the Batman or the Superman effect, where it's like we have a leading man who maybe, from a producer standpoint, we're not exceptionally, like, excited about. Like Michael Keaton, for instance, in Batman was famously like publicly kind of decried as batman but jack nicholson was kind of what injected the interest in the capital into the production that kind of got it across the finish line and made jack nicholson very very rich Mm. Uh, same goes for like marlon brando where it's like it regardless of his contribution to superman just his presence in the film kind of elevated the standing of the production um and the case of on deadly ground yeah fucking michael kane Mm-hmm. like mind you at kind of a weak point in his filmography but it's still michael fucking kane and this one chris christopherson kind of kind of a big fucking deal so we have a, a heavy hitter as the villain working opposite steven seagal who's yeah. who may as well be like talking to a slab of wood and every scene he has with chris christopherson in this film is basically like shot reverse shot to the point that I was starting to suspect that maybe they were not in the same room they together were, very often. Trevor, I would put money down that they were never in the same room together. He was nowhere near this. I think Chris Christopherson spent, I think he had maybe 
one day of shoots with the building and then one day of shoots where he's in Appalachia. And I don't even think that was in Appalachia. I think that he, that, yeah, I think that this, he was probably four days tops on this set. Yeah, I mean, his his only presence in the town proper, I think, is at the party scene. And that that could have been a garden party in yeah. his own backyard. For he's sure. Chris Christopherson. He's probably very wealthy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. This movie came out two years before Blade. Like, he was about yeah. to just start filming Blade here, like, in the next year. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. But, yeah, I just wanted to point out that Kyle's right. The similarities between the villains is very, very close. And on top of that, just the, the caliber of actor they got is also kind of similar. So it's, like, very smart from a production standpoint. Like, like either director of casting or director, producer, whoever took that extra step to, like, get somebody competent and capable <laughs> to, yeah. to like make up for steven seagal's liabilities good work on their part but anyway uh kyle did you want to go front to back on this sucker yeah but i can, we can definitely step on the gas because there of are course. just there's just parts of this film where you can just skip right over um so let's start with that opening yes. credit sequence because you it's, it's been gnawing at you this is something kyle's been excited to get into so the music in this i hate I hate this style of country music and folksy music. It's fucking garbage. It's the worst. But anyway, um, it permeates the entire film. It's throughout the entire film with an occasional contemporary, at this time, contemporary country song. I don't remember what the opening credit song was while it's happening. It might just be traditional orchestra music. But we have a plane flying in and to somewhere in i'm guessing kentucky west virginia wherever this is supposed to this takes place in kentucky uh specifically but the plane is flying over that region basically steven seagal i don't know if he's flying the plane if he's in the plane i know he's in the plane i don't know what his what he's doing in the plane but he's in the plane (laughs) and we're getting credits and then we're getting these weird flashbacks of some dude that he knows doing something with the EPA, finding out something, and then dying because of it. But this is all happening in the first two minutes of the film. Yeah, so there's a... It's it's kind of a known thing that around this, this stage of Steven Seagal's career, I don't... You can't really point a finger to a single entity behind it, but there's consistent effort to tighten up the pace of his films... Uh, to be more traditional action films. And yet, if you look at some of the scripts of some of his movies, they're not really intended for that. So this is maybe the most egregious example I I can think of in his filmography of a movie that has been tampered with in editing. Like, it's been squished into something that is occasionally unintelligible, Mm -hmm. where it's like, I don't quite know... Like, there's there's connective tissue that's missing between some of these scenes. We have an entire subplot like the impetus for the plot is supposed to be his friend getting killed and kyle everything kyle just said is correct like like that character is seen in the opening credits he has two lines of dialogue in flashback and he's mentioned maybe one more time in the remainder of the film Mm -hmm. and very clearly they shot additional material with this guy like there was supposed to be like a build-up to this and there's throwaway lines of dialogue of not just him but like a handful of other EPA and FBI agents also being murdered trying to do this investigation. It's all smashed into like 
two minutes of opening sequence. And the way they're doing this is they're cross-cutting back and forth between Steven Seagal, quote-unquote, flying a plane uh, to Kentucky um, and these sepia tone flashbacks or I don't know what you'd call them, but it's like basically the briefing on the go, like like the, the rundown of his, his mission in Kentucky. So we have like Richard Mazur seen for like a couple of shots as like his boss who's giving him his mission. We learn that his buddy died. By the way, the guy who plays his buddy is played by John Deal, who is not like a household name. I mostly just recognize him as uh, the guy from Jurassic Park 3 who gets eaten on the runway. I don't know if you remember that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Cooper. Uh, the guy, I, th- I think he has like the, the the radio or whatever in him, but he's he's the guy that gets snatched by the Spinosaurus on the runway, like right right as soon as they land on the island. Um, but yeah, he's not in the movie, aside from one shot in the opening credits. Um, but yeah, uh, Steven Seagal lands in Kentucky, and uh, what is it? Uh, something that we should probably point out is there's a lot of... St- of country singer cameos in this film. There's a lot of musician cameos. Not the musician in this movie cameos for sure. That don't mean a lick of anything to me. But were there any that jumped out at you, Kyle? Well, one I just figured out. The guy who plays the preacher is is it Levon Helm? Uh, he was Correct. yeah. He was a vocalist for the band, uh, which I don't really like, but people like. Um, <laughs> Randy Travis apparently he was all over movies in the nineties, uh, and he was also in the second uh, National Treasure movie. I didn't see him, but apparently he's in the credits. But the one that stood out to me because he has the most recognizable haircut in country music is Marty Stewart. As soon as he came on screen, that's Marty Stewart. Uh, <laughs> my parents definitely had his uh, his cassette. In the car in our Pontiac Grand Dam growing up. Um, yeah, no, I, I recognized him in a heartbeat. And I'm like, I was so confident. I'm like, I don't need to look it up, but I want to go and make sure that it is him and not just a, 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 a lookalike. I'm like, no, that's 100% him. Um, yeah, those those were the ones. Um, I, do you want me to talk about the the country music at the time? Because that's like, uh, it's kind of relevant here. That's kind of where I was hoping you'd take us, so go for it, man. Oh, and Chris Christopherson, also musician. Uh, <laughs> forgot yeah, about that. I mean, actually, now that you mentioned it, like this, this decade seems to be big for like singer, like country musicians, singer songwriters turned actors. Because wasn't like Dwight Yoakam kind of yeah. in that same vein as well, and he, he was kind of a big deal as well. Yeah, I actually like Dwight Yoakam. Uh, he's, he's great. He's yeah. got he's got some bangers. Uh, that song that's in Terminator Two, the guitars, Cadillacs, dude. That's on my that's on my drinking playlist, man. That believe me, it's good. <laughs> I, I I genuinely like Dwight Yoakam. Um, yeah, no. So country music at this time, I called it before we were talking before. This is the Garth Brooks and Dunn era. Uh, <laughs> line dancing is fucking huge, and uh, yeah, country music. There was a lot of cameos uh, by folks. But yeah, Dwight Yoakam was in Sling Blade. Uh, and then he's also in a movie I'd like to revisit, Panic Room. He's the main bad guy in that movie. Uh, he's, yeah. He's a very good actor, too. He's funny and he can be menacing. Um, there's, all, I think, there's, I forget his, I think it's Sammy Kershaw is the dad in uh, what's the not pig movie that's not babe pig movie gordy i think it's gordy gordy yeah, yeah. wow I remember deep him. cut yeah deep cut bruh um <laughs> yeah i don't know why 
country music was so big at this time. Like this was, I think next to like hair metal, like it was, this was really big. Like this was like the fad was this style of country music at the time. Well, there's always an, there's always like a, an echo effect where it's like you, you make a splash on one end of the spectrum and there's a call and response on the other end of it. So mm-hmm. what you have like corn and Marilyn Manson going on and yeah. the other end of it is like good old, good old down home American values, maybe something like that. Dude, my knowledge of 90s country will baffle you because this is what I that's what I grew up having to listen to. And it's kind of funny. My wife, who doesn't really like country music, she has just as much knowledge of 90s country music. And I have another friend who grew up in New Mexico. He very much is like, yeah, I know every... We'll put on like a 90s country playlist. We will know the words to every fucking song. Just because it was just always... It's, it was on every fucking radio station. It was in the top 40, like all the time. Wow. I, I had no idea. But I, I, you know, if you want to provide any more anecdotes as mm. we work through this one... I've, by all means, I'd love to hear it. And the reason why Corn uh, was so big at this time was because those of us that didn't like country music, we were just desperate for anything that wasn't country music because I hated it as a child. Yeah, I mean that's that's the other thing that's at work is that like people are running away from from whatever mainstream Ugh. thing they're currently immersed in. But uh, just to shout out a couple of the other. Uh, performers that we have here. Kyle did mention Randy Travis. Uh, he is also featured much more prominently uh, in a potential someday episode that I might subject you to, Kyle. Uh, Black Dog, mm. uh, starring Patrick Swayze, for whatever the fuck reason. I have seen that movie a lot. Um, Never watched That is them. a country-ass trucker action movie. If, if like, it, That's a genre, apparently, but uh, Randy Travis is featured quite heavily in that one. He... He's just a goon in this one that shows up late in the game. He doesn't do ah. much of anything in this one. He's He is a cameo in this one. Um, we did mention Harry Heck, uh, who is George Mark Colley, um, who is apparently a, a singer-songwriter of some some note. I, I don't know to what degree, but he, he is a musician on top of being an actor. Uh, we have Ed <laughs> Bruce, who I believe... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. There was, I don't know if you ever watched the show, there was an episode of Tosh.0 where this gay couple got kicked out of a truck stop for playing footsies or whatever, and like, we don't serve Fs here, basically, and he was interviewing them about their experience. And he's like, so what do you do? And he's like, the one uh, of the couple who's very chatty, very, you know, just the one talking and everything, he's like, well, he has three jobs. He works at uh, Home Depot, this other place, and this other place. And he's like, what do you do? He's like, I'm an aspiring singer-songwriter. <laughs> so anytime, <laughs> I hear, anytime I hear aspiring singer-songwriter, I always think of that guy. <laughs> I was like, ah, you don't do shit. <laughs> you don't do shit. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, yeah, uh, so we have uh, Ed Bruce, uh, who I believe plays the sheriff in this. Um, he's not in it a whole lot. Uh, we have the aforementioned Marty Stewart. Travis Tritt. Uh, Travis Tritt Travis is in here. Tritt. Travis Tritt is in the casino at the very end of the movie. Oh, I'm going to be honest with you. I uh, because I was running out of time. I had to stop after the the toxic, the green toxic sludge. After that shootout, I'm like, okay, this is it. That was the whole movie. And then I saw there was more coming. I'm like, okay, you're going to have to tell me what happens at the end there. All right. Well, we can get to it then, because. Uh, not a whole lot happens in no. this movie, so if this conversation is front-loaded, that There's, is why. Yeah, <laughs> We're going to get right into it, yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, the fella who serves as Seagal's point of contact here is Preacher Bob, uh, who is played uh, by Lee Von Helm, who Kyle had pointed out is a former member of the band, who apparently some people like. Um, not Kyle, though. <laughs> this onset story is that uh, Seagal apparently kept trying to get Lee Von to reform the band um, with him as the front man. Fuck off. Jesus. And he, he was persistent, apparently. Like, I don't know where the where this information came from, if it came from Mr. Helm himself, but that's a hilarious story. <laughs> Steven Seagal is he's not the greatest musician, not the greatest singer, but he's not the worst, surprisingly. The the one song that I heard of his, I'm like, this is not great, but it's it could be much worse, John. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, songs from the Crystal Caverns. Um, yeah, uh, you better believe some of those are going to find their way uh, into this episode. When the girls start to strut, you could look at their butt, you shouldn't but I. The god dress is just a pity, not just to cover her kitty. But yeah, uh, Pre- Preacher Bob picks him up, and uh, we have a... 80 yard line of dialogue from Seagal saying, You play a little guitar or something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Barf. <laughs> so, God. folks, I, I did make mention of this. If you're not aware, Steven Seagal is. He's water that forms into whatever glass you pour him into. Mm-hmm. You put him in the south, he becomes the south. You put him in Mongolia. Oh, he becomes Genghis Khan. Yes. You put him in Japan, oh, he becomes dude. a goddamn samurai. <laughs> I can picture him with that fucking mustache that starts over on the over on the ends of the mouth, like all the way at the tips, but that, that like it like hangs down though, if you know what oh, I mean. Oh, Fu Manchu or some shit. Yeah. Uh yeah, I can see him with that. <laughs> well, Kyle, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know those Ip Man movies that we we've reviewed one of. Correct. Uh, Ip, Ip Man. Yeah. Um after those became in vogue, Steven Seagal actually started dressing oh, uh, in Chinese garb and started making films in China. And in fact, he started adopting Chinese martial arts techniques in his films, uh, largely because, you know, that was the trend. That was the style at the time. He is a cultural chameleon. Mm. You put him in Mexico, he is Mexican. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. You put him in the holler in Kentucky, you play a little guitar or something. Play a little guitar. <laughs> Dude, he sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. Okay, so he's supposed to be... He is EPA agent Jack Taggart, which is a hard yeah, name to say. As, a, as far as names go, that's a, that's a, consi- that's a persistent thing in his filmography. Yes. His character names tend to be like aces, like like great action movie cliche character. Casey, Casey Ryback. Ryback. Casey Ryback. Mason that- Storm. Jack Forrest Taft. Forrest Jack Taft. Taggart. God damn it, Forrest Taft. Yeah, he, he, he is the <laughs> he is the joke names in action movies. Yeah, he is. He's Dirk McFist. Yeah, <laughs> Trevor Steelballs. Yeah, um, the Brock Storm Shadow. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Jack Taggart, EPA agent. He we this is shot mostly in Eastern Kentucky in the summertime. He has no less than three different leather jackets that he's wearing while also wearing almost all black the entire film. Trevor, I'm from not the Appalachian part of the of the, of Kentucky, but close I'm from the western Kentucky, southern Indiana region, like that kind of area. It is humid as f- it makes you want to kill yourself. It's so fucking humid outside. You go outside and you start sweating immediately and you're just pissed off. And he's wearing all black in a leather jacket throughout this entire film. Black is slimming. 
<laughs> is it? Is it? Because I've seen him wear a black gi, and it is not slimming. <laughs> That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. But yeah, he gets brought into town. Uh, we get some nice production value shots of him arriving at the church, which is basically his bat cave in the whole movie, <laughs> until the church inevitably burns down. Yes. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, and then... Uh, first, I guess, evidence of wonky editing aside from the opening sequence, he just teleports to someone's house where he is sawing wood. Yeah. Just somebody's house, and he's just helping himself to their tools. It's like, wh- where are we, and yeah. what are we doing? It's so crazy. <laughs> like, he's just a dude sawing wood in, in this house, and then there's, like, three little girls outside, and they're like, Mama thought I might be thirsty. He's like, well, she's right. And then he gets a glass of water. He's like, what's your name? Terry, Terry, that's a beautiful name. Your name, Samantha, Samantha, that's a beautiful name too. And, and like it's just awful with kids. And then there's a, he should have been like, that's a terrible name. That's a terrible name. <laughs> What's your name, your Tammy? You wrong. The fuck is that? <laughs> then he goes in. He's like, is there a, a boy that's in a bed? There's just some boy that's in a bed with a. With some kind of splotch on his arm, I'm like that. Does that's not necessary to be. You're, you're not bedridden for that. Like you're maybe inside and not going swimming in a lake. But yeah, did you see the size of this American flag? They literally pulled an American flag from a classroom and just set it next to his bed. Yeah, it, this is where the movie, from a structural standpoint, really shoots itself in the foot because the things that we talk about here in this random scene that's just kind of been dropped into the edit disappear. Yeah, uh, these are very important plot details, but they're introduced way too early. Yeah, Like, this is stuff that should have been found out. Because what this kid tells him, the minute he gets to town, should have been the end of of the investigation, quote-unquote investigation. Because he's like, yeah, I heard you got a sick boy in here. (laughs) He comes in, hey, sick boy, why you sick? And he's like, I got a rash. And he's like, okay, that's unfortunate. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. What you draw on this, son? And he's like, it's a helicopter. He's, no, he's like, no, it's a UFO. It's a so Babadook. Like, okay. Yeah. It's a Babadook. It's the Babadook. Your mama hates you. Your mama is grieving right now, son. That's what's happening. That's what's happening Your to mama's your got serious problems with you. Yeah. <laughs> You're weighing on her it's nerves. It's okay. It'll result in a really good movie. Yes, it will. The dog. Stay away from the dog. The kid is drawing pictures of what he calls ufos and right off the bat it's like oh the helicopters <laughs> dumping chemicals in the woods and the kid knows right where they are this is the this is the beginning of the fucking movie <laughs> and we don't get to where those helicopters are dumping for another hour and a half now he looks at it and this would be a perfect mashup it's the uh <laughs> it's the man with the boner sketch from the big lebowski at jackie treehorn's house <laughs> It's like that's oh, a UFO. I should, I should do that. I should <laughs> yeah. I should you got that there? clip in there. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a lovely drawing there, son. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess let's fast forward to Harry Dean Stanton, who I thought was gonna be Simple Jack. Did he not seem simple Jack when you first in- or introduced to him? No, he just seemed like Harry Dean Stanton. Well the way <laughs> the way he's talking to him, it's very strange. It seems like he's touched he's, as they say. He's evasive. Okay. That, that's kind of it. He, he's just being cagey. Like, he's guarded. But, but he's 
he's just playing Harry Dean Stanton, well, he, and to his credit, he is a national treasure. He is. I, I'm not. I haven't seen Paris, Texas, but I've heard it's very good. Um, but no, it just, for fuck's sake, he's in the Avengers. Is he? Which <laughs> Harry Avengers? Harry Dean Stanton's in the goddamn Avengers. Wait, which Avengers? You have to be more specific. The Avengers. Marvel's The Avengers. From okay. what, 2011, 2012? I was just talking about the Ray Fiennes, Uma Thurman one. I'm like, okay. Oh, no, no, okay. no. I would, I, would, I would preface that before I dump that. Okay, on. okay. But I, I, I still think that whatever he's doing to this character and that when you're introduced to him, is it, it was misleading to me, at least. But he, he levels out the rest. I mean, he's normal the rest of the film. Um, just, yeah, he's, he's, spoiler alert, he's Steven Seagal's point of contact, which is muddled entirely by the edit of the film because it's mentioned later that he wrote a letter to Steven Seagal asking for him to come conduct an investigation, but I didn't know about a letter. I didn't really know anything about that, but basically it's like a secret agent thing where it's like, I I know who you are, you know who I am, but we're not going to disclose that until we get later into the movie. All right, let's talk about one of the the first baffling scenes that happens in this film, and one of the bigger letdowns, unfortunately for me, was, uh, so Steven Seagal, as we said, EPA agent, he is down at a river or a creek. Uh, He's got, he literally just has like a vial of water, and he's just like, oh yeah. Yeah, just shaking it up. It a little turned bit. pink. I think that means it's good. <laughs> yeah, he's in his leather. Ja- he's doing EPA test sampling in a leather jacket. Leather. And this is borderline dust. We're in between a duster and a jacket. It's a long. It's a long jacket. Yeah, it's like mid thigh. It's like yeah. almost kneecap length. Either way, it's not practical. Uh, and then he's just like, <whistles> he's like, I sense a child nearby, and he's like. He looks over his shoulder. There's just a kid watching. He's like, hey, motherfucker. And then he just like, (laughs) the kid takes off running. And I'm like, oh, shit. We get to see Steven Seagal run. No, we don't. He gets Jenny's drunk dad looking for her in Forrest Gump in the field. Just like you see his, just like his waist walking through some, some brush. And then he's just walked to wherever he was supposed to be. I'm like, oh, you didn't let him run. He's got the dumbest run. Unfortunate. It's 1997, Kyle. He's not doing that anymore. Yeah. He, he's not quite in his golf cart phase, but he's he's got a rascal or something. <laughs> <laughs> it only works indoors, though, so for the outdoor shoots, it's like, I guess I gotta skip or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then yeah, he, he moves at an accelerated pace, but not nearly fast enough to have conceivably caught up with no. this child. And by the way, the kid pisses in his water, his water tests. Does he? So in this film... I don't know if he knew, like if he knew it found its way into the edit, but in this film, he handles piss water. Nice. Um, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so then there's just three dudes that just kind of get the drop on him, I guess. They're like, what are you doing around here or whatever the fuck? And he's just like, okay. And then fucking, he does, have you ever seen a Steven Seagal movie? He does the thing with the three guys. And then he hands the gun to the kid and he's like, keep this on them. And then he just fucking leaves. Like, there, like, there's no conclusion to the scene. <laughs> he just gives the gun to the kid, and then that's it. Yeah, it's it's very abrupt. Uh, it's not satisfying in any real way. No. Uh, by the way, that's like a nickel-plated Beretta or something. That kid's <laughs> that kid's keeping that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's worth a pretty penny to somebody. Oh, yeah, he's... Um, yeah. And in true Steven Seagal fashion, he has... He, I've read a book, Kyle, called Seagology. I'm a psychologist. You read a book about Steven Seagal? It's called Psychology. Wow. 
Yes. I, I am a certified Segalogist. Um, the man has an ungodly number of tropes in his filmography. I find him to be a monstrous yet deeply fascinating individual in the mm. world of film. In his personal life, terrible. On film, fascinating. He is fascinating. Um, yeah. 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 He's a fascinating specimen. Uh, <laughs> but um, one of the tropes in his films is there's often cases where characters have to talk up his prowess. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this film, it's actually scaled back slightly. However, here we have an instance of ADR where some guy, very clearly in a recording booth after the fact, adds the line, Some bitch broke my jaw! Mm-mm. It's like it's just like, oh, he hit that guy so hard in, in the way that only Steven Seagal can do, that he broke his goddamn jaw. I, I'm gonna... Wow! I'm gonna I'll refer back to uh, uh, an actor that we, we were discussing last week. Hubba, hubba, hubba. But, uh... We didn't get, I guess, uh, my thoughts on the man weren't really on the uh, episode. But uh, Mel Gibson is no stranger to this either. Like, there's a lot of talking up about his characters. Like, in The Patriot, like, oh, he's a ghost. Like, he was, like, in the French and Indian War, and he was just an absolute maniac. Like, he's the greatest person that's ever lived to kill people. Um, It's, I find, I think it's a little more, I don't know, in a weird way, it's it's more on the nose, but subtle at the same time, if that makes any sense. I, I don't know. It, there is some crossover there. Mel Gibson has the benefit of also having his martyr complex, though, mm-hmm. where, where it, it, it manifests as a form of humility, I guess. Like, he often plays tortured figures. Yes. Literally. Literally. Like, like he has, yeah, he, he usually has some sort of emotional baggage in the past, and in the present, he's usually like physically tortured on top of that or something. So that's part of what endears you to his characters. Steven Seagal is so perfect that he, he doesn't feel mm. things like that. Like, you can't torture him because you can never even get your hands on him. Like, the number of times he's been struck on camera in his films is I, very low. Is it maybe the one that he directed? I still can't remember the name of it. On Deadly Ground, on Deadly I don't Gr- even know if he get. I don't even know if he gets touched in that movie, Kyle. There's one where he does get popped. Maybe it was his very first film. It's I, it's the early ones. Yeah. It's when he didn't. It's when he wasn't a producer, Kyle. Because yeah. above the law, he does. He gets the Martin Riggs treatment. He does get strapped to a chair and get tortured. Like he does get roughed up in that one. Marked for death, he gets bopped a couple of times. Under siege, hilariously, Tommy Lee Jones. The only blow that he lands on him is like he nicks him on the eyebrow with a knife maybe that's what i'm thinking i think i might be thinking under siege it's it's literally just a nick on the eyebrow like think that's the only wound he received he gets like shot but they never actually show an entry or an exit wound it's just a thing that happened same with under siege (laughs) 2 exit wounds yeah i mean future episode yeah um and uh you mentioned the patriot that's also a future episode steven seagal has a patriot as well oh Um, okay Actually, both Patriots would make good episodes, if I'm being honest. While we're on the air, I was actually going to pitch an idea for you. I think we should cover 90s Woody Harrelson, because there are two Woody Harrelson movies with Wesley Snipes that I both want to see. It's like a perfect little little crossover. It's like Snipes and Woody Harrelson. Uh, I think it'd be... There's what? White Men Can't Jump? And Yeah, and there's another one. Uh, I think it's Money... Is there another one? I think is it Money Train or uh, Money Train? It may not I, be. I don't remember who is in Money Train. I know it's a movie, obviously, but uh, I would have to ask for. Uh, what was it Play It to the Bone? Play It to the Bone. It's him and uh, Antonio Banderas in a boxing Ooh. movie. I, oh, I know the cover of that movie. 
yeah i would i would that would be my get that would be my contribution One money of train members. yeah it, it, he's in money train with uh with uh snipes is in that is it not snipes oh, yeah wesley snipes wesley snipes and woody harrelson top build Oh shit! I yeah. didn't. I didn't remember that they were both in that. I, yeah. Obviously, I knew it was a movie. I just got a I, lot of promotion. I just happened to fall in that because I want to watch the Cowboy Way. I always wanted to watch that movie as a kid. Him and Kiefer Sutherland as New Mexico dudes that go to. I don't know that one at all. Oh gosh, yeah, dude. I think we got it. <laughs> I think we got a yeah. good good idea for. Anyway, I, I I digress. Sorry, I don't even know how. What no, just think of just that. point at the calendar, bud. I I am down. All of those sound. I don't but, think I've seen any of those honestly yeah i haven't seen any of them uh that's that's the other thing it'd be a perfect catching up it's like i have no i've never seen any of these um let's fucking do it man that sounds great to me but i was thinking because of mel gibson i'm like he does have a few films where like ransom and conspiracy theory where it's not he's not his normal mel gibson and those movies kind of suck it's better when mel gibson is the tortured martyr like who is the most badass dude on earth they're they're just way more entertaining it does not work for Steven Seagal. Like, it, whether he is Steven Seagal or not Steven Seagal, he has to kind of be his douchebag character, but it still doesn't work. He's He is a deeply insecure individual. Don't In terms of how he presents himself on film, he is deeply insecure. Oh. I mean, for fuck's sake, as you said, he's wearing three layers in the hot Kentucky summer. Uh, clearly, he's got some body issues. Yeah. Uh, he needs to be complimented to an extreme throughout all of his films. He he hired fucking Arlie Aramie to be on the set of On Deadly Ground, basically just to verbally stroke his cock throughout the finale of that Jeez. movie. My guy in D.C. tells me that we are not dealing with the student here. We're dealing with the professor. Anytime the military has an operation that can't fail, they call this guy in to train the troops, okay? He's the kind of guy that would drink a gallon of gasoline so he could piss in your campfire. A deeply insecure individual that just needs to be told he's the best and the greatest that we're that will ever be. Um, whereas Mel, at least he knows, has he some is. humility. Like like he knows he's got a big cock, but you know it, it, you don't know how to tell him that all the time. Like he, he's secure. He thinks that degree. he thinks that Braveheart was a good movie. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's like I, I'm I'm a good filmmaker. I'm a good person. It's like I don't know if that's true, Mel. But you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> we go we go to the church, and uh, Steven Seagal is introduced to the congregation. Uh, we have a picnic. Uh, we get to see Levon Helm play some guitar for Ugh. the kids. Uh, sick boy, I'm calling him Sick Boy. Sick Boy. He uh, <laughs> he uh, he runs up to Seagal and reinforces again plot details that are introduced too early where he's like over yonder is where the helicopters dump the goo yeah and seagal's like yeah that's cool. interesting kid i would go down there but it's real far away and my legs don't work so good and i'm gonna play <laughs> so it's gonna be a while <laughs> i'm playing a long 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 game on trying to bed down this mom uh, yeah long, so let's get to that mom game. uh so Sarah, I believe, is a character played by Marg Helgenberger. I thought I'd seen her in something, but she's in stuff I've heard of, but I don't think I've actually ever seen her in anything. I can call out, I think, everything that I know her from right now. Um, I think she was in the Tommyknockers uh, TV miniseries. Uh, sure. It's a Stephen King book um, okay. that had a two-parter, I think. It was a thing at the time, 90s. Um and I believe she was in Species 1 and 2 um, as part of that, that quirky group of investigators that oh, were tracking down the okay. alien. Oh, okay. I did see Species 1. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, so now I get to provide a, a hideous quote from Steven Seagal. It is in the Wikipedia page for this film. Okay. Uh, so in regards to Mark Helgenberger, while I don't think she's a physical, spectacular, drop-dead, oh gorgeous woman, at the same time, she's a spectacular actress. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Wow. Opposite, he's, he's, if you ever see the, the adorable interview with Keanu Reeves for the film, uh, the, the bus movie, what was the bus one? Speed? Chase? <laughs> I don't know the name that of it. Woman, when that girl from the bus. The lady from the bus. <laughs> Two months ago, I saw a provocative movie on cable TV. It was called The Net with that girl from the bus. What's... It's Speed. Speed. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an adorable <laughs> interview with uh, with Keanu Reeves just talking about Sandy Bullock. He doesn't know that she's just right off, like, right around the corner actually listening to him. He's like, she's the greatest, you know? She's just the greatest to work with, just the greatest person in the whole wide world, and she comes in and gives him a big old hug. It's just, it's just adorable. Yeah, that's the opposite uh, of what you just, of what Steven Seagal said. Yeah, yeah. One of these people is a good person. Yeah. <laughs> One of these people is a good person. Um, real quick, um, did you see the uh, the clip of uh, Anne Hathaway and uh, Emily Blunt, I think, talking about Christopher Nolan? Uh-uh. It was a cute thing that like went semi-viral, where they're they're having like an interview between each other, like they're interviewing each other, mm-hmm. and I think I think one of them just says Chris Nolan, and they both go like, "Oh," <laughs> as in like he's so great. Yeah, he's nice to work. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> he's just such a cool guy. <laughs> That's nice. You, you love to hear it. You love to hear it when, it, honestly, as a guy, you like to hear when guys aren't dicks. That it really is just like, well, that's nice. That's nice that he's not a dick because he so easily could be. Yeah. It's terrible in Hollywood because, like, the, the ratio is so, so bad. <laughs> yeah. I think they're trying to turn that around. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Sarah is introduced here. She's standing apart from the group, uh, and he tries to, like, approach her, and she's very standoffish. Uh, put a pin in that, basically. She's not, she lives in the community, but she's not part of the community. Uh, we have some, we're fart around town. We try to give oh. Harry St- Dean Stanton a ride. He says no. Uh, in his Harry Dean Stanton way. By the way, I think I said this earlier, but Harry Dean Stanton, uh, I think he he's a great actor, obviously, but I think he's like the one guy who kind of actually has decent scenes with Seagal in this whole movie. Like, he actually does some work with him, whereas everybody else just seems to be, like, either not wanting to deal with him or giving him half as much as we know they're capable of. Whereas Harry Dean, it's like, he actually made a scene with, with that, with that, with that slab of beef jerky draped in leather. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So we didn't mention that the sheriff, the sheriff in town, is trying to keep Steven Seagal off the path of whatever he's trying to accomplish. Yeah, basically he says, quit sniffing around. Like, if, if you're here to look into anything, how about you don't? Yeah. Um, and nothing really comes of it for another half hour, so uh, yeah. moving on. Um we see that some of the local townies are uh, conspiring. Like, Harry Heck is among them. Yeah. Uh, again, this is the first time I ever noticed this actor before. He sticks out. He does stick like, out. Um, yeah, big time. Um, but yeah, he's like clearly conspiring against Steven Seagal. And in the middle of the night, they drop some snakes, some rattlers, yeah. uh, in his in his like basement uh, dwelling in the church. Again, his bat cave. And uh, he just kind of snatches them he's like he snatched them like birthdays dude (laughs) 
And he tosses them out the window because he's Steven Seagal and he's a Buddhist and he doesn't kill. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, we get introduced to Chris Christopherson by seeing a pair of uh, legs, some very nice looking legs. We're like, okay. Uh, Chris Christopherson is just in a building. It's unclear as to what he does. Uh, he's just a, a business guy in the city, apparently. Yeah, it, it's it's a tower of some sort. I was thinking it was like Vegas or something, but like, where in this area do they have casinos, Kyle? Like in I, Kentucky? I don't know. Uh, no clue. Uh, yeah, I don't either. I, uh, parts of the country I'm not familiar with. I don't know if we have casinos. They have casinos like in, in Kentucky. I'm not sure gambling because we have a in a town I grew up in. They had a casino, but it wasn't legal within the city limits or like on land. You had to put it in the river so it was a river boat where you could gamble uh oh so it's I, i'm wondering that was that thing that thing in maverick too remember it was a river boat gambling river boat haven't actually seen maverick would Ooh. very much like to just because of the cast and i think that's a dick donner movie it's a dick donner movie and foxy jody foster in that movie um but also it's a mel gibson not typecast uh it's him not being uh, his normal mel gibson self that's what I've heard. I've heard it's good. It's like fun. It's, a, adap- it's part of the uh, the wave of what television adaptations that we got in the nineties. Yeah, I think a so. Huge trend uh, through it, the nineties. His dad is James Gardner. His dad is James Gardner, and he, it's they play off each other pretty. Well. Oh shit! I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what just happened? I just spoiled the movie. Oh, well, it's, it's fine, Kyle. I just I'll forget. I just spoiled the entire film. Uh, it's fine. Shit. I'll, I'll put a disclaimer uh, in the episode description okay. so <laughs> spoilers for maverick Steve, stevie has been going into town a couple of times he's talking to these two very attractive women uh that live in this hauler which they would not live there um but they go to the grocery store and homegirl is getting some goodies like just getting some stuff on the side of her little shopping cart her little basket is an advertisement for gpc cigarettes that was my grandfather's brand. I was like, "Oh my god, GPCs!" Uh, I don't even know if they make them anymore, but I, I, I had to, I had to share that because it, it stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I, I, I noticed it. That's a fun detail. I, yeah. ne- I never would have even noticed that, but I will point out that uh, Patsy and Peggy Lynn are the twins. Apparently, they're country music stars of what? Uh, some level of note. I don't know. Did you um, say Pat- yeah, the- Patsy? Patsy, I think, and Peggy. Patsy, is it Patsy Klein? That's not Patsy Klein. Lynn. Patsy Lynn. Huh? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we go to the grocery <laughs> store. And, what's up? I was just laughing at you. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, we go to the grocery store and Sarah. 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 Uh, she, Sarah. Uh, she, she can't quite afford all her groceries. Uh, her income comes from selling honey at the same grocery where she gets a line of credit for... Uh, the sales that she makes there um and we have a whole like supposedly romantic thing where she sets aside some things that she can't afford and seagal sees it and he buys them on her behalf as well as all of her honey from the store um and then we have a kind of embarrassing moment that almost feels like the editor laughing at seagal or something where the cashier asks like kind of comically like what's a fella like you gonna do with all this honey cut to seagal staring into oblivion and saying nothing it's like, <laughs> that's where you have a funny thing that you say steve yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> oh make... wait you're not funny <laughs> so... i'm gonna make i'm gonna make baklava yeah uh folks 
if you haven't seen the Lost episode of Saturday Night Live uh, from, I believe, 1991, wherein Steven Seagal was the host, you ought to check it out. It is, it is something. It is, <laughs> it is legend. It, it truly is. And the, and the awkwardness is legion. <laughs> Good God. It, it, is, it is like Tim and Eric kind of shit or something where it's like, is, is this supposed to be happening? Yeah. Like, what you, is this? It is, yes. It, it's it's alter- like Kaufman-esque. It's alternative. <laughs> Kafka-esque or Kaufman-esque? <laughs> it really is. It's just like, what? What the fuck is this? What's happening? It's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah, check it out if you're, if you're so inclined. But yeah, uh, he picks up Sarah from the side of the road, um, and they have this whole romantic thing where he keeps offering to like help fix up her, her porch, and she keeps declining. Uh, but finally she says yes, because in a kind of comical line, she's like, yeah, it finally broke, so like it's not even up to me anymore. It needs to be fixed. Uh, yeah, so she she keeps bees, by the way. She's a beekeeper. Put a pin in that. Uh, I do like we get another... Uh, so he's an EPA agent driving around in a 50s truck. That's not quite good for the environment, sir. Oh, I was about to say. Um, on top of that, I don't know if... Like, bit of a plot hole. There's a very important action sequence that involves his truck down the road getting destroyed. Like, beyond oh. repair. And then he gets a new SUV? A GMC, he I didn't just, even he notice just it. has it. I don't know where it came from. He just okay. has it. Uh, anyway, uh, there's uh, a singing contest in town that the twins tell him about. Jesus Christ. Uh, and Harry Heck rolls up on him. Uh, by the way, the snakes that uh, he snatched, mm-hmm. uh, he put in Harry Heck's truck and caused uh, him and his buddy to have a car accident earlier in the movie in the middle of town square. Uh, and, of course, now we get to the essentially the bar fight that doesn't happen in a bar. The one outside. The same scene. Yeah, it, yeah, it's an outdoor bar fight, basically. And Harry Heck and his buddy roll up on Steven Seagal at the hardware store outdoors. Uh, and uh, Harry Heck says to him, somebody won't get hurt, show enough. And uh, Steven Seagal mocks his English. It's like, <laughs> you're not one to talk, sir. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, we do get one of those, like, get my pies out of the oven. Get my pies out of the oven! Kind of moments where he's not i don't know if he's trying to be funny but his delivery actually really works as comedy when he's got a piece of wood that he's cracking these skulls with and uh he picks it up he's like you crack my wood that's not gonna work like just he like go ahead it's even it's even worse he has an unintentional rhyme what? an unintentional rhyme oh. yeah crack my wood that's no good that's no good <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the but his delivery of it like it, it's very much just in the scene, it's just like, crack my wood, that's no good. Like, it's not even like he stops for, like, a one-liner. Yeah, I don't it, even think it's supposed to be funny. No. I think he made it an earnest observation. Yeah. <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, yeah. He, but he beats these dudes down. The sheriff's just like, well, you beat some ass in here, whatever the fuck. Uh, there's a ton of jabber uh, moving forward with Harry Dean. Preacher Bob steps in, yeah. keeps him from getting arrested, saying it's it was self-defense, so you can't take him in. Because the sheriff's just looking for an excuse to lock him up at this point. Uh, and we're introduced to Chris Christopherson's son, uh, who is your typical mobster's son character. Little shit, like the guy yeah. who wants to impress his daddy, but he's really bad at being a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, so the kid is pissed off that like nobody seems to be able to figure out this Jack Taggart fella. Uh, and uh, we have a whole romantic thing where Sarah wakes up and Seagal is fixing her porch before mm-hmm. she's even woken up. They have tea together. 
Uh, she tells him that her pop died in the mines, uh, and she finds a gun in his truck. Nothing comes of that. It's just a thing that's left in the edit of the movie that contributes nothing and wastes your fucking time. And she offers him supper as payment. Um, we have a scene where Seagal goes to the library to read a microfiche. I've always wanted an excuse to do that. Like, dig through the microfiche library. Mm. It's just a cool word to say, but on top of that, it's just a cool procedure. Yeah. Um, and he, like, looks at some newspaper articles about her being suspected of murdering her dad. Um, which I think in the newspaper article, it actually says that she was absolved of it. So it's, mm. like, the town still holds it against her, though. Like, they still believe that she did it. Uh... Harry Dean Stanton tr- trusts Steven Seagal now. This was, I think, an actually well-acted scene between the two of them, where, like, Seagal kind of susses out that Harry Dean Stanton was the guy who called him into town, and he shows him that they're dead fish washing up in the river. Uh, and two, it's like two dead fish, and you barely see them. It's just like, what's that? Dead fish, dead fish. And then it's like half a dead fish, and you're like, oh, I guess there's an environmental issue. Like, how, how hard is it to do that scene? It's funny because, the, like, as I said, that, that whole thing with Sick Boy telling Seagal where the chemicals are being stored, like, over yonder. He, he doesn't go. goes there. Yeah. <laughs> he just doesn't go. I think, I think the whole premise of the movie is that he's distracted by Sarah. Yeah. He should be doing his job, but he's distracted. And lives are at stake. People Dude. are being hurt. People are dying. <laughs> so we go back to the city. Chris Christopherson is pissed at his son. He's like, how, how do you, how do you fuck that up? Uh, although not in those words. Although he does have a good shit. He gives a shit, boy. Oh, I remember <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know what was being said in this movie. Because the, the, the mix, like however they mixed it, the music would come on like the fucking in, beginning of uh, uh, Star Wars. It was like, burn, like shaking the house, but then... I'd turn it down a little bit, and then it's like. So I have no idea what the, the the like what the plot was, or like what the interactions were between between characters. Like I got the gist, like I got kind of what was happening, but I couldn't understand what anybody was talking about in this movie. So after about what 1992, and this is just a general PSA. It is advisable to watch Steven Seagal films with subtitles. On. Okay. The, the the man the man's vocal cords are just coated in, in blubber. Yeah. It, it just the, the the mouth noises just don't quite escape in the same with the same vigor that they used to. And so a lot of his dialogue is just do balls. So you can't get the boom mic close enough to capture what the fuck he's saying. It cannot well, yeah, be done. He, he he's a close talker to oh. use Seinfeld, to use Seinfeld parlance. He he's close talker. He's a very <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, uh, he, by the way, Chris Christopherson drinks a big tall glass of Jim Beam. Two Jim Beam uh, notices in here. Jim Beam is bottom shelf swill. It's absolute shit. Uh, Chris Christopherson could, there's really good bourbon out there. Like, there's legit good bourbons. Basil Hayden, for one, really good bourbon. A small batch. Uh, You could have gotten, you're in bourbon country. You're in. Yeah. The state with all the bourbons. And the only one they have in the film is Jim Beam. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, even I know that, that, that Kentucky is bourbon country. Yes. Like, like I, as a non-drinker, like, it's surprising even I know that. But yeah, Jim Beam apparently was a sponsor or something because it is featured prominently in this film. 
not just not just he is drinking it is what I'm saying. Um, anyway, he chides his son. Uh, he says, "You couldn't take a you couldn't take out a cheeseburger from a drive-through window." That's like, so stupid. Yeah, decent line. Yeah, that was <laughs> um, a dumb line. Yeah, uh, supper time. Uh, so Seagal comes over. He's wearing his his Dude, best trench coat. We got to talk about so the, let's talk about the three leather jackets. Which was your three your favorite leather jacket? So we have a plain black one with odd stitching. It's got like some unique stitching around it. We have this black one uh, black base, but then there's like some weird, colorful, almost Native American style or Southwestern style patterns. Vaguely native. Vaguely native, <laughs> as yeah. And then we have what I can only assume is the jacket from. Oh God! What's the name of the movie he directed? On deadly ground. On deadly ground. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot remember it. Jeez, it's like your it's like your brain is protecting you or something. I just, yeah, I was having a lot of trouble with that. Is that the same jacket? The frilly? It might be. It I has think... it has the the leather and the fringe. Like yeah, it, it's like a tan leather with fringe. Yeah, like lots of lots of dangly bits and what. It very well may be the same jacket. But I think this is the plain black one that he's wearing. Yeah, I mean it's supper time. Supper time. <laughs> it's his. Yeah. It's his dining coat. Yeah. I think I like the one with the vaguely native strips of color, just because it's so garish and outlandish. Like I don't quite know what the design motif is supposed to be. Um, but again, he is a cultural chameleon. In 1994, he absorbed all, not just a single tribe, but all of native american and first nation people's mm-hmm. culture into his being yeah it, it belongs to him is what i'm saying yeah um, <laughs> so he, he is entitled to whatever that is uh let's talk about stephen lang's character because he is a trope in film that i cannot stand is the overprotective adult brother uh, and in this case this is an overprotective adult brother who definitely wants to bang his sister yeah, it's actually stated in the film, that, like theorized by Steven Seagal's character, that he was molesting Sarah at mm-hmm. one point. Um, I, the way he's playing the character makes it seem like that is true. Yes. Um, Steven Lang is a very talented actor, mm-hmm. and he and Mark Helgenberger, when Steven Seagal is not on camera, mind you, the two of them have a couple of scenes that are pretty intense. They yeah. feel like they're from a different fucking They movie. are from a different movie. <laughs> like literally yeah. but, but yeah uh, it's kind of a obnoxious and uncomfortable trope uh, i don't know if it's, it's if it's common to this kind of story but um yeah he just like walks in on them eating dinner together and immediately he's he's sending out creeper vibes and to his credit again stephen lang is a very good actor he's very versatile on top of that because i think a lot a lot of people these days think of him as um they was have. it the blind killer from from oh, don't breathe i haven't seen yeah. that i've heard good things but i haven't seen it but i think he's also known as the bad guy from avatar yeah i was about to say in the same breath i think a lot of people know him as that as mm-hmm. like a, a highly physical intimidating presence mm-hmm. but remember he was also in tombstone as the most cowardly. oh he's ike character. i always forget he's ike he is ike he's so yeah. much chubbier in that movie yeah, a lot of it might be his attire. Um, 
but like he is he is such a cowardly pissant of a character in that movie he's completely different than he you would often think of him i don't um, like i'm on the record saying i don't like that movie but i do really like val kilmer's performance in that movie and i think that second <laughs> second best is ike i think that he's a great character in that movie oh he's great yeah like it, he, it's amazing how he he strikes that balance where he is so goddamn obnoxious, mm-hmm. but he is in that movie throughout like almost its entire runtime. Like yeah. he is a constant presence throughout it. Yeah. Whereas you contrast that with like Powers Booth or something who only has a handful of scenes, but he really gets a lot of mileage out of those scenes. But to play such an obnoxious character and still like feel like a worthy contribution to the film is it's a compliment. But yeah, yeah he. He shows up immediately. You know he's he's a bad guy. Um, it helps when he has that fucking devilish grin of his. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, he shows up and immediately Sarah is uncomfortable and Steven Seagal just kind of he leaves. excuses himself. Yeah, he yeah, leaves. He leaves. He leaves him alone with her. <laughs> I was shocked. I'm like, okay, obviously he's gonna come back and slap him around a little bit, but he doesn't, which is it was kind of the crazy. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen, Trevor, in a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe the first time I've ever seen somebody try to intimidate someone whilst eating pecan pie at the same time as yep. well. Bold, uh, bold, bold and ballsy. Bold, yeah, multitasking. Yeah. <laughs> I got to carve up. <laughs> like, I got to make sure I shit thunder right after we have this discussion. <laughs> yeah, Steph, Steph was watching it. She's like, nobody touched that pecan pie. I'm like, Steve is a goal knows that he needs to put, he needs to not, he needs to lay off the sweets. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, Steven Seagal comes back to find Harry Dean Stanton beat up. Um, Harry Heck and his goon squad rolled up on him like right after he dropped him off at home. Uh, Seagal drops Stanton off at a clinic, and uh, we have an offhand line of dialogue from the doctor saying another few hours he'd be dead. Like, no, he wouldn't. What? No, he wouldn't. He'd, like, he'd be hurt. Like he'd, he'd be he'd be uncomfortable he wouldn't be dead he didn't even look that i'm like he spent the night outside in the summertime in in eastern kentucky i'm like okay not a big deal and then i saw the blood on him I'm like i've seen worse that's not bad like he's fine he's fine <laughs> guy's fine throw throw can, dirt on it can we fine can we talk about the deputy the the sheriff deputies standoff yes go for it okay yeah so in any steven seagal movie he can't the only time that he can have a one-on-one with somebody, it has to be the end of the movie. It has to be the final standoff. Everything leading up to that, it's multiple people. It has to be at least three people. And it's completely... I feel like that's the opposite of what's supposed to happen in action movies. It's supposed to be you build up and have to deal with more people as it goes along. <sighs> so the the, the the way you go about this, and this is this is like across the board... Uh, a problem with Steven Seagal movies. Again, he's God's perfect creation, which results in any threats levied at him being meaningless, which results in a tensionless experience. Like if you never (laughs) once, if you never once fear for his life and he doesn't fear, if, if he never displays that, if he never shows an element of humanity, then what are you supposed to feel during all of this? Like at that point, like, say you're watching a Tony Jaa movie or something. A lot of Tony Jaa movies are that, where it's like 10 minutes of him just beating ass. But the the whole point of that experience is that in the act of beating ass, you're seeing him do incredible feats of physicality and agility. It's spectacle. In Steven Seagal's case, it's like two seconds of slap, slap, 
and then everybody's go- laying on the ground saying, oh my god, he broke my fucking jaw. Yeah. And so there's no spectacle, and there's no tension because he's never in danger, and so there's, there's no ebb and flow. There, there's no rising of tension or anything. So it doesn't fucking matter how you structure it at that point. It's all bad. Yeah. He gets uh, confronted by a bunch of sheriff's deputies, and he, as a federal agent, a, a, a member of the EPA, uh, gets into a scuffle with these guys, and he manages to get one of their guns, one of these law enforcement men's guns, and he deep throats it into this one deputy's mouth. He's got... So, Trevor, I don't know if you know this or not. I, I have a friend whose father is a dentist, and I've heard this from other dentists as well on, on the internet. Um, apparently, a dentist can tell if you have um, sucked a dick uh, within like the last 48 hours. Apparently, there's little blood vessels or something. It, it's like a dead giveaway. So if you go to the dentist like the day after or a couple days after, they can tell if you've done that, um, which is pretty funny. But I feel so bad if this this poor this poor actor had to go to the dentist and I'm assuming assuming he's a heterosexual male if he had to go to the dentist and the guy the dentist was just like huh what's going on with this guy his wife's out there but I wonder if she knows uh, because <laughs> I say that because this gun is so far down this actor's throat it looks it's crazy to see on screen because you're like wow like that's really in there. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I think you've seen more robot chicken than I have. Um, <laughs> what were you basing that off of? I, I probably know. have. But I know just... you have because I have seen very little. But, um, okay, okay. There's that Star Wars sketch where they put uh, was it Pundababa? Oh, it's the guy from from A New Hope that gets his arm sliced off at the cantina. Oh, he has a name. Sure. Butt face. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Yes, 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 yes. Butt yes, face. Yes. Yeah. If if memory serves, there's a robot chicken sketch where they show his day leading up to that. Ah, uh, okay. And then all the words exchanged are obviously coming from his associate, the but the other butt face, the man with the smushed face. Yeah. He, he doesn't like you. And he's like, you're speaking for me. I, yeah. I don't have a problem with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's that sketch where it's like his day leading up to that. So yeah. You could do that with this cop where it's his day after this incident. Yeah. And his reputation in town, because it's a conservative Kentucky yes, town, yes. is completely flushed down the shitter. Flushed down the shitter. Just because Steven Seagal deep throat him with a pistol. His own pistol. But if you... <laughs> so the dentist starts a rumor yep. about it. Starts a rumor about it. <laughs> in the small conservative town of Jackson, Kentucky. That poor cop's reputation completely went down the shitter and his marriage went to shit. His marriage crumbled and, yeah, the, his relationship with his friends just he ruined this cop's life, basically. His yes. kids started listening to corn and they moved to the city. Correct. Just everything went downhill after that one it, time Steven Seagal put a gun in his throat. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it really is. And you said that Steven Seagal has a, uh, a record of mistreating extras and uh, fellow actors, actresses on his uh, films. And this is no exception because this is not okay. Like, <laughs> this is this is pretty it crazy. It looks rough. Yes. Like, it, looks, it looks more rough than it ought to be. Like, yeah. This guy looks very uncomfortable and perhaps in some degree of pain. But, um, yeah, basically he's threatening the, the local police saying, like, 
Uh, you can either deal with me or I can call the rest of the EPA down on you. So they take the bargain, basically, and they're like, yeah, we'll just deal with you. Uh, so he gets loose. Uh, <laughs> we get to hear Steven Seagal say the word aquifer, <laughs> drinking water, aquifer, uh, when he's talking to Sarah. And he tells her, I love fixing your porch. Oof. I'm very interested in you. Ugh. <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> Words you don't want to hear coming out of Steven Seagal. Gun is digging um, into my hip. Uh, can we talk about the chase? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we get a nifty truck chase. Yes. Uh, actually, legitimately pretty cool truck chase. Yeah, it works. Uh, probably involved almost no Steven Seagal in terms of its construction. There's a really good uh, moment of suspense. I guess it was suspense, but it there's a, there's a part where he's coming around the corner and the truck from behind knocks him and the car starts to go off the road and it's like oh shit it's gonna go fly off and it it cuts it does like a quick cut and it actually gets back onto the road i'm like damn they actually had me there like i thought it was i thought it was going yeah this is a legitimately good vehicular chase sequence yeah like like all credit to the director and the cinematographer and the stunt crew they put together a pretty cool truck chase it worked um, I love the bit where the his truck is getting slammed up against the the rock face. Yeah, and we even have like a camera angle at the top of it facing downward. It's like that took prep, that took foresight. Like they actually storyboarded the shit and figured it out. And For it's, sure, it's a good scene. And yeah. then it concludes um, with him getting out of his truck somehow. And then yeah, he gets he gets a, a lead. He get he gets some distance between him and the truck that's pursuing him. And he gets out. And he like invites it to run him over, and he. <laughs> very nimbly steps out of the way you know, yeah i'll call bullshit on that yeah <laughs> and then the truck hits his truck and goes off into the quarry and the the driver of the truck is dead because this truck is in pieces and we do spend like quite a bit of time watching this truck like watching it from different angles like be, <laughs> just go off this cliff um 56 yeah, cool 56 minutes into this movie he still has not looked into the plot of the film <laughs> yeah he hasn't started the plot of the, the movie. plot of the he's movie just been farting around town has not started he's been willfully ignoring the plot of the film <laughs> he willfully is ignoring the plot of the film <laughs> <laughs> he is refusing to participate in the film <laughs> Yeah, he goes back to the... The movie is desperately trying to wrangle him and get him to do something interesting, and he yeah. won't. Yeah, he he goes into church, he just kind of walks in and like stops the service as it's happening, and he's like, I will snatch every motherfucker birthday, uh, essentially. Um, can we get to the hoedown, please? Yeah, let's get to the hoedown. Okay. So um, we go to the hoedown, it's in the middle of the night. Again, this is probably shot in Chris Christopherson's backyard. Yeah. There's, there's like a, a, I don't know, they're having a hoot nanny basically. And this is where uh, Marty Stewart, you said, yes, uh, is in the band. He's playing a song. He's playing that guitar. Yeah. Better believe it. Uh, Chris Christopherson himself appears. Yeah. So he came down from on high. He came down from his high tower to visit his hometown, apparently. And he's like handing out vouchers to the local populace, uh, ingratiating himself to them. Uh, and we get another Jim Beam cameo yep. in the form of one of the guitarists uh, doing what you said, I think, just the other day about uh, drinking straight from the bottle. Yeah. Uh, high schoolers and alcoholics are the only two that are supposed to be doing that. Well, he's pitching that bottle back. And yeah. He's hitting it real hard, uh, and he starts to get shaky, and Steven Seagal 
uh, of course, has to borrow his guitar. For sure. Playing. He's got to play. He's got to play with Marty Stewart. Yeah, not only can I play guitar, I can lip sync the entirety of Eminem's Rap God with the mouth of my penis. Jesus Christ, that's a visual <laughs> that you will go blind envisioning. You should listen to Rap God and just understand how impressive it is that he can do that. Oh, I've heard it. <laughs> I, it, it that's the, the words per minute song, I believe. Yeah, that's the one where he goes... <laughs> you, can put a, you can put a drop in here if you need to so the listeners at home can understand truly how impressive it is. Uh, so I believe Steven Seagal probably does play guitar. He is a musician of some kind. He definitely sings. Well, he he sings, I guess, is the quote unquote sings. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna put a clip of Strut in here. I feel like, I feel like your or girlfriend two, or three. I feel like the girlfriend would be like, he's not a singer. Uh, she she would be like a hundred percent. No doubt. Um, yeah, I don't know what actually happens um, at in this scene. Uh, it, can you explain it to me? Well, we we get to see his his musical talent. Yes. Like that's mostly why the scene exists, is so he can stand in front of Marty Stewart, uh, stare into his soul while playing the guitar, um, and uh, thereby demonstrating that they are on the same level. You see, yeah. in terms of their musical talent, um, if not Steven Seagal is his superior. <laughs> Marty Stewart should have like slowly like bent his knees and like lowered himself to the ground while they were making eye contact or something. Um, but uh, Chris Christopherson's son steps to Sarah for some reason. I don't know what his intention here was. Maybe he's supposed to be drunk or something. But Seagal puts him in a wrist lock and then punches a dude in the nuts. Uh, and then he has a face-to-face encounter with Chris Christopherson himself. And they walk out onto a, like a, a covered bridge together. And they have a little conversation that this is where Kyle and I had mentioned. I don't know if these two actually acted their scenes together. Because it is all shot reverse shot, and basically all it is is Chris Christopherson offering to bribe him. Yeah. And, of course, he refuses. But the cinematography, like the style of editing they do here is weird, uh, such that, like I said, I'm pretty sure we're using body doubles or something and shooting the back of somebody wearing a phony ponytail or something to stand in for Steven Seagal. Um, But uh, Stephen Lang shows up, uh, and he offer like she's trying to get him to cooperate with steven seagal because somehow he knows where the chemicals are he's just not telling anyone okay uh and bam church is on fire church burning (laughs) and it's and I, I wanted to put that drop in there because, the, again, with the truck chase, this is like mid end of Midsommar. Like, we built it. We fucking burnt it. Yeah. Uh, they actually built a church, and they actually burnt a church. Yeah. Uh, it looks great on film. Mm-hmm. And they have dialogue scenes happening in front of the burning church. It's a nice little bit of production value and spectacle. It's a real movie. It's a real movie. <laughs> Can we talk <laughs> At about... At times it doesn't feel like it, but it often looks like it. 
So the, this goes straight into the next scene, which is the brother burning the bees. He burns the bees, which is an environmental catastrophe on its own. Yeah, yeah, Earl. Earl, so, Stephen Lang, he burns them bees. This is a weird scene. I don't know if you had the same issue, but I was having an issue with... I couldn't... He's doing, like, some weird talking. Like, is he, like, muttering or, like... like a stream of consciousness, like just kind of talking under his breath. Like what was happening here? Uh, it, it's just the one shot and it's, I think it's intentional. Okay. Cause he's supposed to be psychotic. Okay. And okay. she's watching him when he's walking away from the bees and he's like walking up to the house and he's saying a lot, but we don't hear much of any of it over the sound of the soundtrack and then the burning in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like rambling something about like, basically like, all these guys come around and they only want one thing from you. Basically, he's jealous brother, incestuous yeah. brother, basically. Yeah. So he, he's fucked in the brain. Yeah. Like, like, that's his character. <laughs> like you're all fucked in the head. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, score is done by Nick Glennie Smith, um, who I would not expect you to just know that name. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes from Hans Zimmer's like organization oh, nice. uh, of composers. Love Hans so Zimmer. He's, he works with Hans Zimmer often collaborates with him very seldom uh serves as like the lead on composing scores and there's a particular electronic thing that he does in this score and it's also in the rock and broken arrow is it like the beginning of uh, is it like the beginning of uh voodoo child uh I don't know if I would describe it as that, but I'll I'll have to find a okay. sample for you. Okay. Uh, because it's a it's a particular riff that I always think of when I think of him. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, he most certainly worked on the rock. Like that's that's mostly where his sound is most like, clearly identifiable to me anyway. But he took the lead on this score, and it does have some stylistic similarities, although it's mostly that country rock shit that Kyle said not a big fan of. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> um. I just mentioned him now because that particular riff flared up during this scene, like very prominently. And I was like, Oh, I think I know who did this. Uh, <laughs> and I checked and sure enough, I don't know if you, re- uh, I don't know if you remember if at the beginning of bad boys too, when they're doing that drug bust, but the KKK and the one guy's looking through his, uh, his, uh, night vision goggles. He's like, my lens is flared. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Anytime I hear that, I, I think about that. It flares up. My lens is flared. <laughs> or if i see it in a film I'm like oh the, the lens flare oh my lens is flared sorry it's like is this a michael bay movie or a jj abrams movie i think i you, don't really know yeah. <laughs> i think you know if it's one or the other yeah i hope so fuck yeah um anyway uh earl reveals here that he killed bob the preacher so preacher bob died off camera uh, he killed him in the church and then burnt the church to cover it up, apparently. So Earl killed Bob. Uh, Levon probably got... He probably got tired of Steven Seagal asking him to reform the band. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, can I just not show up again? You shut um, bitch! Yeah. Pretty much. To Steven Seagal. <laughs> to a six-foot-four Steven Seagal. Um and Earl locks Sarah up in her own home and yeah. then goes off and he's like, he's going to die in the mine. <laughs> he's going to die under the mine. So Earl offers to take Steven Seagal to the mine to show him the chemicals when in reality he's taking him in there so he can kill him and bury him in there. Yeah. What? Again, Earl is fucked in the brain. Yeah. So this is 
this is not a plan, Earl. Like, what what little tease that we've had about the plot of the movie suggests that the reason why we couldn't do this up until now is because there are a lot of mines, and pinpointing exactly which mine where the chemicals are being stored is part of the problem with the investigation. Why not take him to just a mine? Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't know he doesn't actually know where the chemicals are. Why why did you take him to the mine? Have you, you fucking idiot? Have you looked at a map of the cave system that's in this region of the United States? It's extensive. Like yeah, you it, could it, it's extensive. Extensive. <laughs> you could just go dump yeah. him in a cave somewhere. Yeah, no, he takes him to the secret underground lair. The ooze. He, he, he take he, he, Yeah, he takes him to where the ecto cooler is stored. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, have you ever seen Nickelodeon? Here's the slime from that, basically. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we got slime, we got gack, we got ecto cooler. <laughs> we got a whole ass river of slime back here. We got those Kool-Aid pops. We've got some of those Flintstone sherbet pops. We got some of those Ninja Turtle cake pop pie things with all the different colors and stuff yeah we got we got the baseball mitt with the gumball ball Uh, yes i don't know what happens to the rest of the movie all the goons are looking at earl like you fucking idiot (laughs) Uh, yeah you'll have to explain the rest of the movie to me like i I don't know what happens from here i had to all right so we are in the mine and uh, uh, sure enough, a bunch of goons show up, but not before Steven Seagal has a verbal confrontation with Earl, where he basically says, "Like, yeah, I notice you're really you make Sarah real uncomfortable. I'm gonna leap to a conclusion here <laughs> and assume that you've been molesting her." It, what, did I catch something? Did he? Did they have another sibling that he molested to death? Did, did I, was there something along those lines? <laughs> the story is that. And again, Steven Seagal just assumes yeah. this. And he is correct because, again, he's God's, God's perfect creation. He knows all. Um, he, he states that uh, their father discovered that Earl was molesting her. And upon that discovery, Earl killed their father. And because she was a minor at the time... It <laughs> this is so complicated. Yeah. Um, Earl asked her to take the fall for the murder because she was a minor at the time and couldn't be imprisoned whereas he was an adult and could be so she took the blame publicly while in reality he actually perpetrated the crime Uh, so she's been living a lie basically and and earl is a terrible he's a bastard he's a terrible person yeah And, and in fact there were there were lots of scenes cut from this movie to shorten it apparently that's insane. Including action sequences. Dude. Action sequences, Kyle. The, and uh, Earl was supposed to also be the person who killed Steven Seagal's friend. So he was supposed to be, like, deeply tied into the plot of the movie, not just the Sarah B plot. Um, anyway, we have a fight in the mines. Uh, it is bog-standard shootout shit, where Steven Seagal is oddly preoccupied with shooting the lights. They're shooting at the lights! They're shooting at the lights! <laughs> yeah, he's oddly preoccupied with shooting at the lights. Again, I theory i think he didn't want to kill people in this movie uh, because he is shooting at people he hits a couple of people but it's debatable as to whether or not he kills them he's mostly shooting light fixtures shoot it shoot it tell them to shoot it i mean yes it's an action movie fucking do it um and then there's a bit where he awkwardly chokes a guy nice that again is edited in such a way that you could you could reason that he only choked him unconscious. He didn't actually kill him because you don't actually see the guy die on camera. 
Uh, Stephen Lang gets covered in ecto cooler, bright green liquid. Uh, they, they put a hissing sound on the soundtrack to suggest that it's burning him. They apparently couldn't afford makeup effects or something to show that he was burned. And then in one of the dumbest fucking things, uh, again, I think my theory holds ground. Steven Seagal's stunt double hurriedly exits the mines because he's he can't be asked to run, not in 1997. And then after he leaves the mines, uh, the kid Chris Christopherson's son shows up and doesn't he doesn't seal the mine. He only sets off explosives in it. I don't know for what reason, but he sets off an explosive device in the mine that doesn't seal the mine. And then we cut to Earl having rubble fall on his head. And that is how Earl dies. This corn dogs. Corn dogs is right. Corn By dogs. the way, I had some corn dogs uh, a couple weeks ago. They was nice. good. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Earl, who is demonstrated to be this bad character, this apparently like, the closest thing we have to like a, a heavy in the movie. Yeah. He is excused from the movie via accident. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> like in wrestling terms, it's it's like. You, like what the fuck kind of finish was that <laughs> like a dq a dq finish mr seagal are you fucking serious it was probably like jesus christ it was like the he- the heartbreak kid pinning brett the hitman michaels <laughs> now you're just fucking with me you're trying to hurt me kyle you cut that shit out <laughs> you're trying to get me upset <laughs> uh, um uh yeah please yeah Okay, continue. Uh, so, Seagal goes to pick up Sarah, uh, and she agrees to testify, which apparently has been an important plot point throughout the whole thing, is that the reason why they can't conclude this investigation is because nobody, like, there are no witnesses that will agree to testify against Chris Christopherson. Uh, we have a whole last sequence where Steven Seagal attempts to drive her to a truck stop to hand her off to other EPA agents, one of whom is Randy Travis, who has a quick draw revolver which he brandishes and never fires way to go <laughs> uh so we have a randy travis cameo turns out he's a baddie uh in disguise uh he tries to abduct sarah steven seagal shoots him through the neck through a wall oh shit oh man i, I mean it's actually kind of cool like like he shot randy travis in the throat through a wall which you know that's a lucky shot if ever there was one um and then uh, another bit of steven seagal not wanting to kill people randy travis's cohort is covered in gasoline and uh there's a road flare that is out by him <laughs> that steven seagal ignites uh via gunshot and then as it's flying through the air and threatening to ignite the gasoline, thereby immolating that bad guy, he shoots it again in midair because he's that much of a crack shot, thereby preventing the guy from being set on fire. Hmm. So he spares him, Kyle. Spare. He spares that anonymous goon who nobody had any emotional attachment to in our action film. Hmm. Um, there's a truck driver here who looked like Neil McDonough, um, but I actually didn't take the time to check if Neil McDonough is in the film. Um, anyway, uh, we see that uh, Steven Seagal's boss is working for Chris Christopherson, um, and he is later arrested by Steven Seagal at an, inve- an investigation site. So there's corruption within the EPA. 
Uh, we go to court. Chris Christopherson is actually taken to court, um, and the guy, the guy, the the guy who owns the ranch from the Nickelodeon television show Hey Dude, who is also featured in the Hand Model episode of Seinfeld, is the lawyer for Chris Christopherson. I don't know this gentleman's name, but I grew up watching this man on television. He was on Hey Dude. He has glasses and a bad hairline. Uh, anyway. Very funny. I like that show. Um, Chris Christopherson is fined but not imprisoned. Uh, and Steven Seagal comes at, he approaches him after the trial and he's like, I'm going to violate you with my words and with my bullets and with a gun in your mouth. I will snatch your motherfucking birthday. I will birthday. snatch your motherfucking birthday. I will snatch every motherfucking birthday. Uh, we have a, a bar, we have a legitimate bar fight nice. at the end of the movie. Uh, so Steven Seagal just like walks into the bar where Chris Christopherson's son hangs out and he beats up all the local goons, including Harry Heck again for like the third time in the movie. And then he, he makes the son of Chris Christopherson act as a witness. So now we have somebody within the organization who is willing to testify. We go to the casino. This is where, uh, Travis Tritt, you said, yeah. uh, he is the onstage band. Uh, ah. We get a couple of cutaways to him hitting some notes that I'm sure singers can appreciate. Uh, he has, speaking of a wild-ass haircut, uh, Travis oh. Tritt in 1997 apparently had one of those, because quite impressive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, he looks like Dog the Bounty Hunter. Truly underrated uh, country music hairstyles. Uh, Merrill Haggard kind of had a nice, bouncy uh, or no, Conway Twitty. That's who it was. Conway Twitty had a nice big '70s bounce white dude afro kind of thing. Um, yeah, Travis Tritt had long hair, like the really trashy thin uh, uh, long hair. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some interesting hairdos in country music. Yeah, he, he had the long hair in this sequence, and he also had like his top button open, so a lot of, like yeah. exposed collarbone shirt. It's uh, a look. Can I tell you something before I forget? While you were talking, I was uh, thinking back to uh, Jeff Amata, Amata, um, and I was like, was he the guy that Patrick Swayze pours gasoline on in Point Break? And I believe he is, because he is in that film as store clerk, and he is an uncredited, and he's also, it was a stuntman on that movie. So I believe it is him, but you talking about the dowsing in gasoline for some reason just made that come crashing back but he is jeff imata is in that film and i believe that is him getting gasoline poured on him yeah it's basically like a a rule almost like in 90s hollywood action cinema jeff imata Mm -hmm. and the re brothers usually simon re are likely going to be on the set Mm. it's just it's just a truism of of hollywood from that era al leong if you're lucky (laughs) gerald okamura if you're lucky uh, but Jeff Imada and, and the Ree brothers, f- almost a constant presence on the set of, of most action films. And speaking of uh, familiar faces, I don't actually know this gentleman's name, um, but you would recognize him, uh, being as he's in one of your childhood favorite films. Um, we go to the casino. Uh, Steven Seagal rolls up Wait, on the casino. We've been to court he- and now we're going to the casino? Yeah, so the courts Jesus. failed. So Steven Ugh. Seagal now has to step outside the law. He is above the law. Kyle. Is Steven it. Seagal is above the law. Is Steven Seagal is marked for death. It's taking so long. <laughs> Steven Seagal is 
out for justice. Steven Skull is fired down below. Does he have gonorrhea or something? Oh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, he, he goes to the casino, and uh, there are some bodyguards uh, guarding Chris Christopherson, as they tend to do. And one of them is I, th- I think he might be Polynesian. Um, he uh, is in Mortal Kombat. He is one of the fellows who jumps up from under the floor at oh. the, the very end of Mortal Kombat. He is Crazy Eyes. The Crazy Eyes guy. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I know him from Mortal Kombat and many other movies, but most prominently he is in Bloodsport 3 <laughs> mm. as a character named Lima Lama, uh, where he really gets to flex his martial arts prowess. He gets to do some cool shit in that. Uh, but here he even gets some dialogue. He's actually a decent actor like he gets he gets a couple of lines in here uh he was also a doorman in blade oh I just, that memory just popped into my head i didn't say that on that episode but at the uh, the vaguely asian club mm-hmm. dial he's the doorman wearing okay. the sunglasses vaguely um, yeah asian. i don't i don't know his name but uh yeah he he gets beat up by steven seagal here uh speaking of which there's a fight here it's a bunch of guys in suits uh all of whom are strategically cast to be a few inches shorter than Steven Skull, I have to assume, being as he was a producer on the film. Yeah. Uh, and he roughs up all of them in like two seconds. Um, and anyway, uh, the Colonel, the Colonel, speaking of cameos, this movie, uh, movies from this era have this effect where it's just like seemingly everyone in them is somebody you feel familiar with. Um, is the character's name the Colonel from Boogie Nights? Mm-hmm. The, the financier, the producer. Yes. He is he is at the table with Chris Christopherson, and he has a line of dialogue. Hmm. Yeah, I never would have expected that, but yeah, hey, uh, welcome. Um, also, that guy plays the hangman in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, which I know is not a favorite Mel Brooks film of yours, mm-hmm. um, but I do love him as the hangman. He is, he is utterly hilarious to me. Anyway, he excuses himself. He has one line, but it's like, hey, that's the colonel. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Chris Christopherson is arrested here. They have evidence, and his son is testifying against him. Uh, Steven Seagal makes some uh, nasty threats to him, and he almost goes quietly, except for Chris Christopherson pulls two different pistols on Steven Seagal and fails to hit him with both. Um, at, which, at which point Steven Seagal retaliates by shooting him in the shoulder, thereby condemning him to the rest of his life in prison rather than killing him on the spot. Again, because pretty sure Steven Seagal was very hesitant to kill people on camera in at this stage of his career. Next year, he will discard that, <laughs> that mentality <laughs> and have a, and as a result, make a much more financially successful film in the form of Exit Wounds. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, we go home uh, to Sarah's place. Uh, Jack Taggart, Steven Seagal, bought her some new bees. Uh, and we actually conclude the movie in a tasteful fashion where we see Harry Dean Stanton is out of the hospital. He's fine now. And he is dancing on his new porch, uh, which Steven Seagal had built for him. And then the credits are are Harry Dean Stanton playing a folk song on his guitar sitting on his, his bench. And the credits are scrolling. It's like this weirdly like folksy kind of like heartfelt ending to a shit ass movie. Yeah, I'm glad I checked out when I did because I, I honestly 30 minutes into it, I'm like, okay, we've probably gained a lot of ground here. Like we should be, you know, about halfway through. I'm like, it's been 30 fucking minutes. Nothing's happened. And I feel like it's been a lifetime 
watching it. Uh, you said there was a lot cut out of this movie. Yeah, apparently whole ass action sequences were cut down and or cut out entirely. Um, the the character from the opening sequence, his Steven Seagal's partner, was apparently supposed to be a character in the movie with some more build up to his demise. Earl was supposed to be integral to the plot. Um, it was supposed to be longer, which is surprising, being as it already feels overlong, even though it's not two hours long. Um, just not a particularly well-structured film. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. No. No, but it was... Uh, it was fine i guess it was, it's it's somewhat watchable it's like somewhat it, it watchable. it's not it's not like oh my god this is boring it's like it's just kind of like a put it on the background it's like it's, it's whatever it's fine yeah it, it's that kind of movie yeah that's all i have to say about that yeah uh me too i will just point out that uh this particular plot line was kind of in the air like I, I did mention this that like environmentalism was as has its flare-ups from time to time in mainstream cinema like the 70s were very much like a ecologically like aware period and then the 90s we had captain planet and shit and it's it's a it's a subgenre that i'm curious if it still exists because i was bombarded with this stuff in the 90s like just off the top of my head i can name uh what a, a civil action uh this the john travolta movie that's aaron, about again aaron brockovich yeah. Aaron Brockovich from a few years after this. Like there there are other movies of this. Um I forget what Michael Clayton was about, but that may have been similar, though that may have been like pharmaceuticals or something. But anyway, this is a thing that pops up from time to time and I actually like looked into it a little bit. It seems like it is migrated to television mm-hmm. because we very seldom get movies that are chiefly about this sort of thing, but apparently it's it's a thing that's present in TV that I'm not watching. <laughs> Yeah, I think they're trying to get people who watch TV convinced that there's an issue with uh, with pollution and climate change uh, because apparently half the country doesn't believe it's happening. It's a Chinese hoax. So, yeah. yeah we got to get those Yellowstone people on board. Dude, seriously. <laughs> that's what they should be doing it. They should be subliminally telling those people, hey, you know, you should really recycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you heard it here, folks. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's more than anyone's probably ever said about fire down below uh from 1997 directed by i'm sorry i have to look up his name because i could not remember it felix enriquez alcala uh, who as we said is a prolific television director um and yeah uh that was our frame of reference episode for this week but look forward to next week where i'm I'm hoping we can do kyle's next pick Mm -hmm. um But in the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can do so by navigating to our website of catchinguponcinema.com. You can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter slash X at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, And the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. Uh, So fucking Google it. Google it. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Snoochie Boochies! <laughs>